as always, we are very grateful and thankful for that. Everybody looks good this morning. Look at your neighbor and say, you look good. But I look better. This morning we're going to talk about total forgiveness. When Jesus Christ died on that cross and he shed his blood, we were totally forgiven of our sins. If we truly repented of our sins, we were totally forgiven. We were brand new. Christ forgave us of everything. We're going to focus on what he says in the Lord's Prayer or what he says in the disciples' prayer. But if you remember 1 John, yes, last week we talked, 1 John 1, 3, where it says, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so you may have fellowship with us, and fellowship is with our Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So John is saying he's a witness to this. And these disciples were a witness to this. They came to Jesus after watching him go and praying in these different things. And he said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, in this manner, therefore you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now in the book of Luke, Luke records it this way. He says, forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Matthew 6.12 in the New English translation says, and forgive us our debts as we ourselves have forgiven our debtors. The New Living Translation puts it, and forgive our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. We are to pray that God's will be done. Not our desires, we are encouraged to ask God for things we need. It says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. He's putting forgiveness right up in there with everything you need every day to survive. He said, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, give us what we need to live today. Amen. But then he tells you you have to forgive those that have sinned against you. He makes it that important. He reminds us to confess our sins to God and to turn from them and forgive others as God has forgiven us. James 5.16 says this, Confess your sins to each other and pray 
for each other so that you may be healed. An earnest prayer of the righteous person has great power. It produces wonderful results. I mean, we have the miracle of salvation. God's involved each and every one of us in his eternal plan. The only way we become righteous is through Jesus Christ. We can't make ourselves righteous. We can't go to Amazon, look up righteous, and buy it. We can't go to Facebook Marketplace and get it. We are to lay down the pursuits of the world and instead follow him home to all eternity. Remember, we are citizens of heaven. We are no longer citizens of this world. Now, the lifelong path of discipleship isn't always easy. As many biblical people recorded in their pursuit of holiness on the earth, you saw struggles, especially you saw struggles with David. He struggled all the time. Sister Charlene reminds us of Joseph and how he changed and how he forgave his brothers who just wanted, some of them wanted to kill him. They ended up selling him that they wanted to kill him. And she reminded us that he forgave them. Every day we face humanity. Every day we face humanity, which exists under a curse of sin. The world exists under the curse of sin. Understand that. Those that have not come to Christ still live under a curse of sin. Those that have backslidden live under a curse of sin. You're either following Jesus, forgiven of your sins, walking the way we'd have you walk, or you live under the curse of sin. We cannot shake everything on this side of heaven. We can't change everything and make it like heaven's going to be, although we are instructed to do that. But through Jesus Christ, we can confess our sins and stand in the presence of a holy God. Confessing our sins leads to a healing. It leads to restoration. Both of these attributes are worth having. They're worth seeking. In Proverbs 20, verse 9, it says, Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Ecclesiastes 7.20 For there is not a just man on the earth who does good and does not sin. In 1 Kings we find the story and they're talking to God. They say when they sin against you for there is no one who does not sin. You might become angry with them and let their enemies conquer them and take them captive to their land far away. And while they're in the land of exile, they might turn to repentance. They might pray, we have sinned. We have done evil. We have acted wickedly. And if they turn to you, Lord, 
with her whole heart, with her whole soul, in the land of their enemies and pray towards you in the land you gave their ancestors. Will you hear their prayers? Will you hear their petitions from heaven? And will you lift up their, their curse? Will you bring them home? And if you read on further, God hears them and he brings them out of captivity. So no matter what, if we fall back into that captivity and we truly go back to God, he will bring us out of it. 1 John 1.8 If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And the verse just before that said, but if we are living in the light and God is light and we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us of all sin, Blood of Jesus cleanses of all sin. Confession, according to Easton's Bible Dictionary, is defined as the acknowledgement of sins to God and to a neighbor whom you have wronged. Confession is an everyday process. We are adopted into the family of God when we freely receive the gift of salvation. We become adopted into the family of God. God has purposely placed us in families and communities because he knows that it's not good for us to be alone. This is why we fellowship as a church. This is why we fellowship with other believers. This is why the apostles, as they were starting churches, they were in each other's house breaking bread. Of course, they were constantly being pursued by, by the Romans. So they moved a lot, but they stayed together. There are sins we only take straight to the Father. But when we sin against each other, we must confess to each other. Forgiveness is important to God. We have been forgiven, so we must lead that same forgiveness to each other. And Jesus taught us through the Lord's Prayer that we need daily forgiveness as much as we need daily bread. We have to have it. If we are harboring unforgiveness in our heart, Jesus said in Matthew 16, but if you do not forgive others of their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Think about that for a moment. If you're not forgiving someone else, God isn't forgiving you. Where does that put you? That should put you on the outside looking in. Because you're not in fellowship with God. Not forgiving our brothers and sisters leads to grieving the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians 4.30 tells us, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed by the day of redemption. Paul wrote that, don't grieve him. 
Yet if we're holding this bitterness, this unforgiveness towards our brothers and sisters, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. Our relationship with the Holy Spirit should be one of the most important priorities of our life. And the Holy Spirit is grieved. It causes distortion in our thinking. Think about that. If you've got the Holy Spirit guiding your life, and all of a sudden he walks away from your life, now you're thinking on your own. Now your thinking becomes distorted. Now the enemy gets to come into your mind and start to send you down his path. And we all know that doesn't work too well. Because there's all of us have been tempted by the whole thing. And uh, by the enemy, we've all been tempted by the devil. We've all had those those times. So the ungrieved spirit enables us to cope and do a job that Jesus called us to do. As long as we're not grieving them, He is our comforter. He is our leader. He is our guide. He is our director to our pathways. If the Holy Spirit were grieved in me, I would not be able to function. I wouldn't be able to think clearly. I would be thinking things that whatever the enemy put in my head. A refusal to forgive me, God stands back and lets you cope with your problems in your own strength. Think about this over the last year. How many issues and circumstances and problems you had. And if it had not been for God, you may not have made it. It was God that got you through it. Yes. It wasn't yourself. So if we're grieving the Holy Spirit and God walks away and says, okay, do it on your own. This is what you want. You're on your own. He walks away from you. How, how is that going to end up? Yeah. How's that going to end up? I mean, we all want to live and be our best no matter what we're doing. You know, none of us woke up this morning and said, Jesus, I really want a lousy day today. <laughs> let me go with let me go in and, and do some really weird things, nasty things. Let me let me just have a bad day. Let everybody throw tomatoes at me while I stand up here. <laughs> I mean, we don't want the Holy Spirit upset with us. There's not a one in this room that wants that. I mean, do you? And right after Paul reprimanded us, very firmly, not to grieve the Holy Spirit. He wrote in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Because remember that, Christ gave us total forgiveness. Remember, a refusal to forgive means God stands back and lets us deal with our problems in our own strength. 
and coping without God's help. I know this personally, if I had let and tried to cope without God's help, I would have died long ago. Not only would I have been dead to sin, but I would have been dead in this world. I would have been, as they say, pushing up daisies. It's God that gets me through every day. It's God that supplies my daily bread. It's God that guides me. Proverbs 14, 14 says, The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. A backslider in his own heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. When we are left to our own ways, the flesh takes control. And those unthinkable capabilities towards sin begin to rise up. And soon they have free reign. It's like the door was wide open to Satan, come on in. Because the Holy Spirit's gone. And believe me, he will take advantage of you every way he can. In every deceivable way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority, for you have the benefit. So Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil scheme. We are familiar with his evil scheme. Sometimes... He still tries to sneak in, but the Holy Spirit warns us. Amen. He tells us, yes. be aware, yes. be alert, yes. be sober, yes. be vigilant. Yes. Watch what you're doing. Amen. He will exploit the unforgiving spirit. Yes. He will play on our self-pity. And worst of all, he will try to make you think that God is with you through this whole thing. He will try just like he did Eve. Yeah. God told Eve, do not, Adam, do not eat of that fruit. For surely you will die. But what did the enemy say? Oh, God's not going to kill you for eating that fruit. Look at all he's got. What's he care whether you eat that or not? So he will tell you the same way. We have to be alert. We have to be vigilant. We have, yes. we have to be sober. Teach on. I mean, the enemy said to Eve, you will surely not die. And in effect, what she really said, and scripture doesn't say this, but it says, oh, well, thank you for that advice. And she went on and believed him and did what it was he told her to do. And now I paid a price. Now we all pay the price. What a woman. <laughs> Doesn't say much for women's lips. <laughs> the enemy will try and convince you that it's okay not to forgive. 
that you can hold on to this. I know, in certain cultures, people hold on to things for quite a while. But that's not what God says. God says, as I supply your daily needs, you forgive on a daily basis. Whether you need forgiveness for your sins or somebody that sinned against you, but you do it every single day. Yes, Lord. Because nobody wants the devil gaining access to you or anybody you know for that matter. And once the enemy gains interest, entrance into your place, he has interest in you. And you begin to compromise. You make little subtle changes and start doing things you would normally not do. I know people that have been controlled by an enemy, and I've watched some of the stupid things they do. I mean, some of them just downright, it's like they lost their mind. You know, but when they, if you can get them back in the right way, because God will forgive them, they truly repent. And if you can convince them of that and get them back on track, then they work fine. I mean, I had this friend I used to work with down in Miami. And when he got saved, I mean, he really got saved. He totally changed. But he, but he couldn't convince his wife that even though she was going to church, the church she was going to just wasn't right. Because she was going to this church where you had to call the pastor your highness. And you had to call the kids who were considered royalty. And you had to bow down to the kids and, and to the pastor and to his wife. And they were your royal highness and the kids were this. The kids were prince and princesses. And you say, this isn't right. This is not what God said. And he finally did convince her of that. But it took a while. Unforgiveness forces God to become our enemy. In James 4, verse 1, it says, What is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Do they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. James kind of lays it out on the line for you right there. He doesn't hold anything back. You know, if you look at the scriptures and they say knock and ask and seek, sometimes you've got to ask more than once. 
Sometimes your motive's got to be right, the reason you want it. Because it will help you this, it will help you that. The reason God treats you like an enemy is because by not forgiving others, what you're really saying is, God, move over. I want to do your job. And you crown yourself judge, jury, executioner, and you presume to take God's place. So God, you're not giving me what I want, so move over and I'll just do it myself. The reason God treats you like an enemy is because by not forgiving others, you're really saying that. You're presuming to take over for God. But God alone is righteous. And being righteous, he will do what is right. He will clear your name. He will deal fairly with those that hurt you. I mean, he feels what you feel. When God sees you on a day and you're, you're in a prayer and you're praying and he knows you're hurting, he's hurting too. He knows that. He knows everything about you. He knows all your wants, all your desires, all your heartaches, all your troubles. He knows those things. And he experiences those with you. That's why he knows when your heart is right and when your heart isn't. But if you do his work, he becomes your enemy. Whenever we, are, we judge another, we never get away with it. You never get away with it. Think about it. Think about sometimes you've judged somebody and it's come back to bite you. Matthew 7 says what? Judge not that you be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So God's kind of explaining that all to you right there in Scripture. You do this, it's coming back on you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But do not consider the plank in your own eye. It's that simple. I mean, Jesus makes it sound so easy, so simple. But yet our human nature struggles with it. Again, we go back to thanking Adam for the struggle. But we got it, so we got to deal with it. Romans 11, 29 says, the gifts that God give you can never be withdrawn. But you need to be aware that when you're holding unforgiveness, the anointing of God may be lifted from you. Because we have to operate in an anointing, and you may become like an empty shell. You have to be aware that after a while, even King Saul, who had that anointing, and it lasted for a while while David was anointed king. Saul still operated under anointing, but all of a sudden it was gone. And when it was gone, he was done. And I may, 
to me, next to my salvation, my anointing, I regard as a very precious thing. It's very precious on this earth. And I don't want to lose the anointing God has given me. But understanding, bearing a grudge, trying to punish or get even with someone. And we all know people that do this. I grew up with people like that. You know, they, you did something to them and the next day they tried to do something to you, only a little bit worse. And then it keeps going back and forth, back and forth. And the world is becoming a very dangerous place. And people are way out of control. So sooner or later, you will lose your anointing, what God has given you, unless you choose to forgive, and forgive totally. We also may have no authentic fellowship with the Father. If we're living in unforgiveness, that relationship with God could be cut off. And then you're praying that nobody's listening. You're crying out, but nobody's hearing. You're asking, but you're not receiving. Because God just cuts you off. In Luke 15, 17, it's talking about the prodigal son coming back. Now, if you remember the prodigal son, he wanted all his inheritance. He was going to, thought he was going to do great with it. He was going to have good times. He was going to make money. He was going to live a lavish lifestyle. And the people of the world just kind of took everything away from him. I mean, he spent it all on prostitutes and a lavish lifestyle, and it was gone. And he ends up eating in a pig pen with the pigs. And Luke 15, 17 says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. You don't think he was remorseful for what he had done? You don't think he was ready to get down on his knees and cry out, forgive me, forgive me? Yeah. And if you remember the story, when he shows up, his father sees him from far off and just runs out and greets him. He was just happy to have him back. And that's the way Jesus was. He went after the one that got lost, the one sheep. Why? Because everybody is valuable. Every person is valuable. And our relationships and our friendships are valuable. So we can't let something like forgiveness get in the way. We need to forgive. It, it's a matter sometimes of humbling ourselves. But who cares who's right or wrong? Amen. I mean, if you truly love a friend and they've done you wrong, who cares Amen. who's first? Get the relationship back in track. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness, and we are not practicing the truth. 
We're lying. We're deceiving ourselves if we're not living the way God would have us live. And when it comes to forgiveness of sins, there's two levels, I think. There's one they call a forensic level. It refers to a legal and the essence of being justified. Remember, we are justified with Christ. We are forgiven because the blood of Jesus was shed. We are made righteous in God's sight because we repented of our sins. God saw that and he pardoned us of all sin and he justified us. And then there is a spiritual level within us. And we are not only declared righteous, but there's a spiritual experience to being righteous, to walk the way God would have us walk. There's a peace, there's a joy, there's a contentment that we find in our lives that make this so much easier. It's an experience you'll lose if you don't practice forgiveness, if you don't live in a state of righteousness. We will lose that peace, we will lose that joy. Why did Jesus say these words when he was teaching us how to pray? Could he just went over there? Give us this day our daily bread. Praise the Lord. Go on. But he didn't. He taught his disciples to pray that way. To forgive one another and stay. Because he knows we needed the fellowship of the brothers and sisters of Christ. And the more this world gets corrupt, the more we're going to need that fellowship with one another. Yes. Because we're going to have to fight battles together. Mm -hmm. We're going to be involved in warfare together. Yeah. And we need that. And Jesus knows that. So he's saying to all of us, take and forgive. You know, there's plenty of non-Christians, there's plenty of people living in the world, they still forgive each other. They might not do it the same way, you know. I mean, when I was kids, we, you know, we used to get in fights. And then we'd for, kind of forgive each other because we'd all end up down at the little store in the street corner, and we'd all sit there and drink soda and laugh together. Where 15 minutes ago, we were punching each other in the mouth. You know, this is just over with. So how much more should we be motivated by the Holy Spirit to forgive and forgive totally? Amen? Amen. Let's stand.